Let us turn now back to the portion of scripture which you read a few moments ago in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 119. And I would like us to consider just for a few moments this evening the portion we have from verse 89 to 96. Psalm 119 from verse 89 to 96. We'll read just a couple of verses to give us some context. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants, and so on. <clears throat> there is a belief abroad which is known to most of us that this universe and indeed this world came into being out of nothing and that this earth remains turning on its ever-winding orbit endlessly without purpose and without direction. This is of course false. There is another belief similar to it that the creation did happen that way but that it was instituted by an all-powerful and sovereign God at creation. But all he did was wind up the cogs as it were. That he created the world at the very beginning and just let time and all its events go to pass, whatever may come. He did not, in this view, intervene in any way in his creation. There is, of course, the very true Christian view, which is that God created the world and he continues to sustain it by the word of his power it was created and all its events are in his will and plan and decree. And in that decree he saw fit to communicate to his creatures. And he did so by presenting to us the very word of God that we have before us tonight. We have a God that reveals himself to us. And that is why just for a few moments tonight we'll go through this portion under the heading God Communicates. God communicates with his people, with his creatures. And this portion, and indeed the wider portion of this psalm, is drenched in respect for the word of God as he inspired it and as he kept it, even for the psalmist. God communicates. And we'll just simply walk through this passage. And we'll do so in five Headings, and we'll reveal them as we go on uh, tonight. First of all, then, we'll consider God's revelation in eternity. God's revelation in eternity. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now we have it rendered this way in our English language, and it is, of course, a 
good rendering. The, those that know about the Hebrew language and those who are experts in it would say that it's rendered slightly differently, but it's equally as true. They would say, Thou art forever, O Lord, and thy word is settled in heaven. Thou art forever, O Lord, and thy word is settled in heaven. What a magnificent thought that is in and of itself. Thou art forever, O Lord. Time-bound creatures such as we are, we just cannot comprehend the eternal. We live every day knowing about yesterday and all its events which have passed. We know that if we're spared, there's another day that follows it. We know about before and we know about the potential of after. But God has no beginning. And we cannot get our heads around that. We can attempt maybe in a futile way to consider something existing eternally in the future. But having something eternally existing in the past, we cannot comprehend. Such is our weak minds. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. We are but time-bound creatures. But he specifies something here, the psalmist. Thy word is settled in heaven. By using that phrase, we use it quite often, settled. By being settled, it is considered completed, unchanging and unchangeable. If it's settled in heaven, it is completed. It cannot be altered, added to, or taken away from. Settled in heaven. In verse 152 of the psalm, he says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of all that thou hast founded them forever. It's interesting that the psalmist would say this. But there's something very important about this fact, that thy word is settled in heaven. The psalmist had no New Testament. He didn't have the completed scriptures that we have tonight before us. But yet every single truth that is true and revealed to us in the New Testament was just as true at the time of the psalmist. We can read in our scriptures that there is no condemnation for those that were in Christ Jesus. That didn't simply become true when Paul penned it when he wrote to the Romans. That was true for the psalmist. There was no condemnation for the psalmist in Christ Jesus because the word is settled in heaven. And this all, if we can apply it to this day and age, this renders meaningless and foolish the futile attempts at the world, the flesh and the devil trying to change, alter or do away with the scriptures. Does it not? If it's settled in heaven, does erasing certain words that you don't like or certain verses that you don't like out of the Bible going to change it? There are many who think that, well, we don't like the idea of eternal judgment. 
So if we simply just blot out the word out of the scriptures and read it and preach from it, that it ceases to exist in reality. But the word is settled in heaven. Cannot be changed. And like we mentioned about the New Testament truths being true of the psalmist, because the word is settled in heaven, what counted for the psalmist's future also counts for ours. We haven't been to heaven yet. But the word is so settled, so settled in heaven, that such verses like these can be said. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. What does Paul say about us? That he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word is so settled that we Christians here are as good as in glory. That is how sure and steadfast the word is. Settled in heaven. God's revelation in eternity. Secondly then, God's revelation in creation. God's revelation in creation. Verse 90 and 91. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances. For all are thy servants. God reveals in his wisdom and in his creation certain aspects of his character and works. We call this doctrinally general revelation. That God reveals himself in his creation. And the scriptures point us to instances of this. We didn't sing the verses at the start of the psalm, but Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies preach about his handiworks. That there is no tongue to which that preaching, that sermon that the heavens preach about the glory of God cannot reach to. Renders us all accountable for for knowing about his existence. In another place, in Psalm 103, we hear about the heavens showing something about the mercy of God. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heaven in its height, the earth surmounteth far, so great to those that do him fear, his tender mercies are. The height of the heavens, according to scripture, tells us something about God. When you look out on a very clear night, and you see the host of heaven and the stars, we cannot comprehend the distances to these things. We have now a very new telescope in the sky that can see further than any other telescope has ever seen. And there are things still to be revealed that we cannot see. So what does that teach us? From our perspective, the heavens are infinitely high. From our perspective, they seem endless. Well, this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 103. Endless, infinite mercy of God. That even the heavens tell us about this. But I introduce this point because the psalmist in this portion we're considering tonight mentions the faithfulness of God. That in these verses, God's faithfulness is likened 
to creation itself. God created all things, of course, of nothing, and we know and believe that. And we sung it at the start. The heavens, by the word of God, did their beginning take. But as we mentioned at the start, we have an extra belief that it is upheld, sustained actively by God. He actively holds together all the elements, all of creation together by that continuous word of his power. Hebrews 1 verse 3, upholding all things by the word of his power. And likewise in Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 17, that by him, that is Christ, all things consist. And because of this, what does this imply? That God, in, in, in some way of saying this, is predictable with his creation. Because God sustains his creation in a consistent way, that it means it's predictable. We, we treat creation like that all the time. It tells us something about his faithfulness, his continuous faithfulness. Genesis 3, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. We know that after winter comes spring. It's happened every year since the creation. It is predictable in that sense. And because we know spring is to follow the season we're in just now, likewise we know God is faithful. He will bring his promises to pass. And this is what the psalmist is touching on here. If we see creation as dependable, and we do, so we should see God as dependable, faithful, even unto the end. We'd counted a foolish man who sat down there under the Keswick Bridge, watching the tide slowly ebb away and panic, wondering if it was going to come back in again. And yet how often do we see the flow of the nation seem to vanish and we're terrified that the gospel cause is going to go away? Do we not have a God that has promised a blessing? Promised gospel blessings but it is preached likewise when the sun sets if the Lord tarries it will rise again creation is dependable so is God and he's dependable in all his ways and his works Thomas Manton said will God show his constancy in the course of nature and be fickle and changeable in the covenant of grace, wherein he hath revealed the order and method of his mercies. Nature is dependable, predictable, so is God. And we can even go further than that. God is even more dependable than creation. Why do we say that? Well, we mentioned the sunrise. There will be a day when the sun will set or rise for the very last time. We need no sun and moon in glory. Christ is the light in heaven. God's promises, God's testimonies, 
His faithfulness is more sure than all of these things. So we hear in that point, God's revelation in creation, how various things are revealed to us. Even in these things we often take for granted around us in creation. Thirdly, God's revelation in practice. God's revelation in practice. Verse 92 and 93. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. We spoke just briefly there about general revelation. That's the doctrinal term for what we just talked about. But what we have here is what is, of course, known as special revelation, where God has revealed his exact will in the Bible for us. And the psalmist in this portion expresses his delight in the word. This is a remarkable psalm, dear friends. I can't remember the exact number, but I believe there's only two or three verses in this whole entire psalm that doesn't directly reference the scriptures. We hear about commandments, precepts, statutes, ordinances. It's all talking about the scriptures of God. He delights in this fact that God has spoken directly to him. Unless thy law had been my delight, he says, I should then have perished in mine affliction. We know very well, do we not, Psalm 1. We read about the blessed man there. What is said of him? That he placeth his delight upon God's law and meditates on his law day and night. We know, do we not, that that brings such a blessing to meditate upon the scriptures day and night. But he says it in this context, I should then have perished in mine affliction. This verse, of course, does not say that there would be no affliction. Unless thy law had been my delight, if only my law had been thy delight, I wouldn't have had an affliction. It doesn't say that. That unless I, thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in mine affliction. He is upheld by the law, by the scriptures. And friends, if you have affliction, if you have troubles, and you're not turning to the word for your sustenance, it'll add to your affliction. Here, the psalmist attributes great delight in the scriptures, which sustains him through his affliction. He goes on then to say, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. With them thou hast quickened me. Here the psalmist attributes the greatest compliment to the scriptures. He attributes the very life he got from the dead. His very spiritual life, he attributes that in great thankfulness to the very word of God, that sharp, two-edged sword that pierced into his own heart. And you hath he quickened, the apostle says, who were dead in trespasses 
and in sin. And is that not a great reason that he cannot forget his precepts? I will never forget thy precepts. How could you forget the scriptures if they do this for you? Is not any encounter with God, especially in his word, not greatly memorable? You have, Christian friend tonight, a personal testimony of God's grace in your life. You have a testimony of God being there with you, not just at that moment of conversion, but ever since. Will you ever forget his precepts? I find it hard to believe that you would. You think of Christian people who have the great ailment of dementia and other such things. I know them personally and have known them personally. There have been those that have actually forgotten their children's, their wives, their grandchildren's names. Cannot recall them, even their faces. But they'd be on their knees every night because they remember God. They remember their Saviour. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. God's revelation in practice. Fourthly, we'll look at God's revelation in troubles. God's revelation in troubles, verses 94 and 95. I am thine. Save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I am thine, the psalmist says. First thing he says to God in this part of the prayer is to remind God of God's own ownership of him to make a request. You think of that well-known prayer that the, the Lord gave to his disciples. After this manner pray ye. How does it begin? Our Father which art in heaven. To remind God at the very outset of his ownership of you. And sometimes is it not true that the simplest words are the sweetest? That you dear Christian friend, brother and sister tonight are owned by Christ you are his possession most cherished, cherished possession tonight and he is yours Song of Solomon 2.16 my beloved is mine and I am his what does your beloved do? What, does, what did the Saviour say himself? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And the one that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. I am thine. This is the faith of the psalmist coming out here. Save me, he says, for I have sought thy precepts. This psalmist is, of course, already a believer. But he cries, save me. Because the Christian still 
must be diligent in praying for deliverance and from and for salvation from sin, all its temptations and all our weaknesses. Yes, dear Christian, you prayed to be saved at the very beginning. Praise be to God for that. But by grace are you not still praying to be delivered from your weakness, from your temptations, to live more godly lives, to be more devoted to your Saviour. Is this still your prayer? Save me, for I have sought thy precepts. He goes on. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, that I will consider thy testimonies. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. Here in this verse, there are two waitings here. The wicked are waiting, but so is the psalmist. He is waiting on his God. And he in this statement says effectively that the word of God is his anchor. He knows the wicked is waiting for him to fall away, to fail, to show some weakness, to abandon the scriptures just a little bit so that he can grab hold of him. It's almost if you can see these nature documentaries, you have a lion stalking its prey and they're waiting very patiently for one of the prey to depart from the pack, to lag behind to show a sign of weakness, to show injury. They'll go for the weak one. This is the picture we have here. The the wicked have waited for me to destroy me. But, the psalmist says, I will consider thy testimonies. Isaiah 23, verse 3, Thou wilt him keep in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. We have that beautiful picture, do we not, in the New Testament where Peter is walking on water. It's an incredible thought that. Peter was actually walking on water. But he starts sinking. When does he start sinking? And he takes his eye of Christ and looks at the waves, looks at the storm. That's a very vivid picture for us tonight. Consider the Lord's testimonies. Make The scriptures tonight, your anchor. That thing you can tether yourself to for safety. And you'll be able to endure all the storms, all the evil ones approachings. And just as the evil one expects us to fall, he's an expectant waiter, is the evil one. So we ought to be an expectantly waiting people. We must expect God to bless us. God's revelation in troubles. Fifthly and finally then. God's revelation in extent. God's revelation in extent. Verse 96. I have seen an end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. I've seen an end of all perfection. The psalmist, no doubt, had seen many, quote-unquote, perfections. We don't have a 
author for the psalm at the beginning, but commentators do believe generally that it was David himself. And he certainly knew of some perfections. Did he not fight off Goliath, who in the eyes of this world, in human eyes, was the perfect warrior? If you were to have a champion to front your army, you would choose Goliath. He was tall, he was strong, unmovable. David saw an end of that perfection. Likewise, King Saul. That is why the people of Israel chose him as their king. They looked with the eye, they looked on the outward. David saw an end of that perfection. I've seen an end of all perfection. And that's the reality, is that everything in this world, whatever it is, has limits. It has borders. It has coasts. Not just of space, but time itself. There are many fleeting things in this world. There are many things that maybe last a while, but then fizz out. Every empire that's ever existed had a border. There was a place where Caesar didn't have jurisdiction. It had a border. Nebuchadnezzar could only go so far in his kingdom, his empire. Likewise, modern countries. It's only so far. Everything has its limits. And even the most formidable empires and countries, even the most perfect ones in the human eye, had limitations. And this can be true also, we can apply this to ourselves in our own personal lives. You might have experienced many perfections as the world would see it. You might have had fleeting times of fun and excitement in this world before you were saved. You could say, well, that was a good and enjoyable time. But it did not come to an end. Did you not see an end to that perfection, as David did here? You might have experienced so-called perfections. These are perfections in the eyes of the world. They're not objective perfections. Indeed, many of them are perversions. But, David says, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. Regardless of what perfections the psalmist might have seen in this world, there is nothing like the very word itself. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. <coughs> God's word is for all people in all places and all times. There is no borders to the scriptures. There is no people to which it should not be given. There is no era of time it shouldn't be taught in and given to. It was penned all those years ago by men that were carried by the Holy Spirit. And it's just as relevant and applicable to this day and age. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall last forever. The exceeding broadness of the scriptures. And when you have to bear this in mind, that the enemies 
apparent triumphs in this world have an end. We brought up Babylon, that great, formidable empire in which the people of God suffered for a great deal of time. Where is it today? The most that we have of these empires are perhaps some fragments of pottery or their coins. The Babylonian Empire is no more. Likewise, the Roman Empire, which we also mentioned. Where is it today? And then ask yourself, where is God's empire? Has that not spread? Has that not reached further than any of these empires have ever gone in the gospel? Has the word of God not reached more coasts than any godless ruler that has ever stepped foot in this world? And are we not promised that that will continue? Are we not promised that every nation shall hear of this saviour, of this word? And what does this word tell us? tells us of an exceedingly broad redemption. An exceedingly broad redemption. All sin covered for all eternity. All your sins are covered by this redemption. That's a broad redemption, is it not? You don't even know the extent of your sin. But it is covered by the blood of Christ. And there is no Limit to that blood. It covers for all eternity. I've seen an end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. Well, we've considered a few things tonight from this passage. God's revelation in eternity. The fact it is settled in heaven forever. Immovable. Steadfast. And it will accomplish what it is set out to do. We have the creation, God's revelation in creation, where even creation itself preaches to us of the mercy and faithfulness of God. God's revelation in practice, we see it being used and delighted in by the psalmist. God's revelation in troubles, that it is used and delighted in even in troubles. And we have the extent of that revelation for all peoples at all times. Does that not tonight Add to your delight in the Bible tonight. Cherish your Bible, dear Christian. A lot of people suffered greatly so that we could have it in our own tongue before us tonight. By the providence of God, it is on your lap. Cherish your Bible. It is a great, great volume. Let us conclude with a quote from Charles Bridges. Regarding the scriptures, let it be simply received, diligently searched, and earnestly prayed over, and it will lead the heavy laden to him who is their present and eternal rest. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us tonight. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious and eternal God, and our Father in heaven, we give thanks tonight for this blessed, sacred volume before us. We give thanks that men of old were inspired indeed.
penned down the very words of God. And in the course of history, by the great and overarching providence, we have it here, providentially preserved for us. We pray in this day, in a dark and difficult day, a day of small things, that our yearning for the word of God, to learn more of Christ, would simply increase, even as godliness in this nation seems to decrease. May we each and all devote ourselves wholly to the diligent study and delighting in the scriptures that we will be built up in our most holy faith. For before us end in our parting praise, pray, Lord, that above all things that you'd forgive us for many sins and shortcomings. Cleanse us in the blood of Christ. And may he have the preeminence even this night itself. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I will now conclude by singing some of the verses that we have just considered. Psalm 119 from verse 89. Psalm 119 from verse 89. And we'll sing just down to verse 94. Thy word forever is, O Lord, in heaven settled fast. And to all generations thy faithfulness doth last. The earth thou hast established, <coughs> and it abides by thee. This day they stand as thou ordainst, for all thy servants be. And so on to verse 94. Psalm 119, verse 89. Thy word forever is, O Lord, in heaven settled fast. Thy word
The following are the intimations at this time. <clears throat> the services on Sabbath are at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm, and I hope, God willing, to be taking them. The funeral service for the late Mr. Alistair McIntosh, Senior Elder in the Doors Congregation, <coughs> will take place next Tuesday, 14th of February, at the William T. Fraser Funeral Home, Condothel Road, Inverness, at 12 noon. Interment thereafter will be at the Doors Cemetery. So 14th of February, which is Tuesday at 12 noon. Copies of Reverend John Morrison's book, Daily Readings of the Gospel According to John, are now available in the vestibule for those who ordered it at £12 each. A payment can be made by cash or cheque payable to Greyfriars FCC in the envelope provided. And finally, a training session in CPR and for the use of the planned defibrillator will take place in the church on Monday 6th of March at 7pm. Please add your name to the list in the vestibule if you would like to participate. And all these intimations are of course subject only to the will of the Most High. Can I ask Reverend Stuart Farms to please conclude with the benediction. <coughs> Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.